Well, I guess we, without further ado this morning, let us uh, start in a time of prayer. Oh, Lord, Father, we thank you for this morning, and thank you, Lord, that we can all gather in this place. Lord, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence. And Lord, Father, continue to impact us and continue to empower us in your ways, continue to renew our minds. And Lord, Father, help us to have a clarity of you every day more and more. And we pray all this in your name, and we say, Amen. Amen. So today we're going to talk about thoughts on congregational worship. So it might be a little bit different than the usual uh, sermon. I like to try new stuff, so let's see what happens. So while like, uh, many of us know, like in the past uh, few weeks, we have a time of what I call a season of prayer and fasting, but it doesn't really end there. It's kind of continuing on. So I'd like to continue on to uh, just... Uh, encourage all of us here to continue on to pray and continue on to fast, continue on to seek God. So uh, let us turn to Hosea 6, verse 1, 2, 3. It should be on the board. Yeah, I don't have it here, so I'll read it off here. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord, for He has torn us that He may heal us. He has struck us down and that He will bind us up. After two days, He will revive us. On the third day, He will raise us up that we may live before Him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that water the earth. So let us continue on to press on to God. But I think this time of uh, this season, there are some key components. And I would say one of it's probably about four components I can think of. And one of them is prayer. So when it comes to prayer, it's, like a, it's really communicating with God. And there's like a, when we come, come to God to pray, like, I mean, there's a lot more sermons out there. There's a lot more components in it. There's subcomponents within the, this component. But some of the main things I can think of, it's like when we come before God, it's repentance, a heart of repentance, giving God petitions. And also, when we pray, we also can worship God too. So the other component here is uh, fasting. So when it comes to fasting, when we come before God, when we fast, we are kind of humbling ourselves. We are kind of disciplining our flesh. And we are kind of, it also helps us to sensitize to the Spirit of God also. And of course, there's uh, different forms that Greg talked about it. It's not only food. You can do electronics. You can do something that you might be pretty dependent on. <laughs> of course, I think some of the most challenging ones, like uh, some people might have, it's fasting from caffeine. Uh, everybody's caffeine addicted. <laughs> um, I think one important thing with fasting, it's also a, it's a consistency. They kind of do it like a, over time, like once a week or something like this. So I think that's something everybody can try to strive for. Uh, the other thing uh, I would say it's a key component. It's also worshiping in this season. And worship is really where we are, come, we are coming to enter the presence of God. It's like a, one of the most uh, experiential and one of the most ministerial components in this, uh, this list here. Because worship is one of the ways that as we come before God, like we can really experience and we can really encounter Him. It's also one of the ways that you can feel the tangible presence of God the most. And it's often pretty expressive when it comes to worship, because like a, a lot of times when we start worshiping, 
Like you feel the presence of God. When you feel the presence of God, like things change. Like usually you don't really just stand there. It's like, oh, the presence of God is here. And you just like, mm. And you just stand there and sing a song. Hallelujah. That's like, I don't really think you're experiencing a whole lot. It can be, but prob- probably not. And this will be the main theme for today too, but we'll probably focus more on the congregational side. Uh, and also, like, uh, like we will probably focus more on the, uh, the bigger picture because with all of this thing that I mentioned just now, uh, there's often a congregational element. There's also a, like a small group or family element to it. There's also a personal ele- like a element to it. Also. So each one's a little bit different. You kind of do them. You kind of, I guess when you do them, you kind of... Uh, you might act or think a little bit different. So also, uh, worship, it's a battle. Like if you want to know more about it, you can listen to some of the past sermons. And so let's turn to 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5. I actually don't have it here with me, so I have to turn manually. It's always good to flip your Bibles once in a while. So in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 5, it says, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So you see, a lot of times, like, uh, this is one of the functions of worship too. It's like uh, as you're worshiping, we, when we sing all these lyrics, we are taking our thought captive. And wherever like, the enemy starts attacking us regarding like, uh, our relationship with God, like uh, our identity in God, like this is the time, or even like the attributes of God. Like this, the moments where you kind of destroy all these arguments the enemy send ahead, and we use the word of God to destroy them. And uh, if you remember also like uh, the story of Jericho, I think most of people is familiar. Like it's one of the battles uh, that you have a bunch of soldiers that stand out, but the soldiers don't really do a whole lot in the starting like, what did they do? They circled around the city, and the last uh, day, they started playing all the instruments together. Then the walls fell down. And so it's kind of an interesting way. It's kind of, like a sim- it's kind of symbolic, too, to worship, that worship destroys like, all the walls of the enemies. Uh, and also in uh, Jeremiah 50, verse 14, let's turn there. So in verse 14, it says, Set yourself in array against Babylon all around. All you who bend the bow and shoot at her, spare no arrows, for she has sinned against the Lord. And if you remember, like, it's kind of interesting, the word shoot here, it's, in Hebrew, it's uh, yada, which means um, to praise, to give thanks, to confess, to cast out. So this word is used a lot of times when people, the people of God is praising God. In songs too, so it's kind of unique, in the sense like a you wouldn't think it's like a shooting, but it's also actually praising too, praising God. And in here, like a, the Babylon is the enemy of God. It represents the world. 
So sometimes when we come against the things of the world, sometimes you shoot at it and you, or you praise God to destroy the enemy. So it's pretty interesting. Well, I guess the other component, it's, uh, I would say the most key component, the most important one, is our hearts. I think this is kind of the most important because our heart is really the entryway to everything else. If you don't have the right heart, if you don't have the right mind, like nothing else really works. Nothing else really is as, I guess, like a impactful, I guess, in some ways. And you see, like, I think it's interesting because when you kind of look at the life of David, uh, well, let's turn to X and take a look at what the New Testament apostles say about David. In X 13, verse 22. So in verse 22, it says, And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, of whom he testified and said, I have found in David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart. So what I wanted to point out here, it's like, uh, like David, I mean, he has a lot of failures in his life. Like we know his story, like a, like a bunch of stuff he didn't do correctly. But still, God called him a man after his own heart. This kind of goes to show, like, you don't have to be perfect. I think, in fact, a lot of times, God is pretty gracious. In a sense, like, a, while we might have the small little sins or might have sins in our life while we serve God, but a lot of times I feel like uh, that's, that's my personal feeling. <laughs> I feel like uh, he's not super concerned about it. Of course, he don't want you to have sin in your life. And he, of course, he planned for it to be a progression, to be a many stages that you kind of go through to kind of conquer your, the sins in your life. But I think God is really more interested in our hearts towards him. If our hearts is right, like, uh, he can deal with the other problems. He can deal with the other sins in your life. But most importantly, it's the heart that we have for him. And I think that's what David has. And uh, I guess like using a, a tool as an anal- analogy, uh, if you think about like a, maybe you might be doing like a woodwork or something, you might have a chisel or you might have a drill or something like this. I guess like you can think of us as a tool. And like, I think it's kind of interesting because so often like, when we have a tool that doesn't work, what's the first thing we have to do? You'll be like, oh man, this, like, this tool, it's not great. <laughs> Let's throw it out. Let's get another new one. But I think God does it a little bit differently because all of us as a tool, like, we are kind of broken in some ways. And like, uh, God is kind of the user so I think it's kind of interesting because like, uh, for us, most of the time, our first approach is just, oh, let's do it out and let's get a new one. But I think God is gracious in the sense that he usually don't do that. That he usually says, oh, you are a broken tool, but let's make use of what you have. Let's start repairing you and let's bring out the full potential that you can have in you. So I think that's the cool part about God. And I think it's really interesting too because... Um, when God thinks of us as a tool, uh, rather I would say it's a, a lot of times it's not about how good the tool is, but it's a lot about how good the user is. Yeah. 
I mean, the two plays a part, but the user plays a bigger part. Like we have seen this many times. Like uh, I remember in the past, I was doing machining. Like uh, in machining, you always have like very tight tolerances. Like it would take me like half an hour to do, like to get down this part to a certain tolerance. It would probably take me like an hour or so. But then like, you have another more experienced user, like the people, the person who taught me, who will come in, oh, he'll look at it. Oh, you want this? You want this? Oh, okay, then you're like in five minutes, he did what I did in half an hour. And you get it down to even tighter tolerance I can I couldn't. So I guess that's the difference. And what so more if it's God? Who knows everything, who can do everything. When he use, when he begins to use you as a tool, he will begin to bring out your full potential and beyond. And I think that's kind of the coolest part in some ways. Because he, he given us all talents that we can use. But when you when you begin to submit to God, like he will begin to use your talents, but he will show you a dimension that you never thought or think about it at all before. Mm-hmm. Well, just think about Peter. Like he's a fisherman, everybody knows that, like a nothing too special, like all of us. Like it's a working man, a lot of us as like a working men and women too, pretty normal, nothing too crazy. But I guess like with Peter, maybe he left a little bit of like a leadership capabilities, a little bit in the starting, like, a, like you see him mess up quite a lot of times too. Like it's all of us too, like we mess up a lot of times. But I think the nice part is uh, I got... I guess through Peter began submitting to uh, Christ, like God began to bring out all his full potential. And God also began to bring out whatever that he probably didn't know he could also. Because later we see that Peter became a pillar of the church, a position he probably never thought he could ever be. So that's cool in some ways. I think above all of those, it's uh, even beyond leadership, it's when God began to show his power in what you do. And I think that's probably what like, uh, people uh, look towards Peter for most of the time. It's him hearing the voice of God and him pursuing God himself and doing working miracles. I mean, leadership can only bring you so far. Then to a certain point, when you start working miracles, that's really all God. And I think that's like the extra dimension that's like beyond what your talents can do. It's also the part where God begins to use you in powerful ways. And so I would say, like, in the practical sense, that's uh, pretty much the Christian life. I would say that a Christian life, it's pretty interesting. If you think about it, we all start as a baby. We all are very dependent. Like, you need your parents to do, like, a bunch of stuff for you. Those who are parents probably know this. (laughs) We're coming up to be parents soon, so... Heard a lot of stuff, <laughs> trying to get ready, but people always say you are never really ready. <laughs> but anyway, like with uh, as a as a baby, you know, like uh, we are very dependent on the stuff that's around us. We cannot do anything at all. But as we grow up, we become more and more independent. But I think it's like, like the cool part about Christian life. It's like when we become more and more dependent, independent, then we come to a stage where we become very dependent willingly. That's one of the goals in the Christian life. They become willingly dependent, even though we can be independent. And we will become willingly dependent because we need to be dependent on God's power for our life. 
because it's where we start to realize, oh, like uh, the talents that God has given to us, there's only so much I can do with it. Like there's, there's more that's out there and like I need God to help me. I can only do so much with the powers that I'm given. And I can only serve God to this capacity. And you begin to cry out to God, oh God, I need more of you because there's, I'm at the limit on myself. So I'd say that's kind of like the, the Christian life. Uh, let's take a look at Zechariah 4 verse 6. That's a pretty popular one. It says in verse 6, Then he said to me, This is the word of the Lord. And he said to me, This, oh, I read the same thing again. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. So I guess that there's a couple of important questions to think about when we kind of think about uh, our heart for God. I'll say some of this, it's a, it's a good mental practice or a good thought practice. is to think about like a, how important is God in your daily life? Or even your use of time. Is God revolving around you? Or are you revolving around God? It's God in the center or are you in the center? Or the talents, abilities, and the finances, or the time that, that you have, what is the angle of all those? Is it purely for my own consumption so that I'll be happy? Or is it in part to play, to build the kingdom of God? Or even while serving God too, like are we supplanting the glory of God for our own I guess it's always tricky, like I say, if we, like me preaching today or doing worship. Like, am I doing this because I want the glory? Or am I doing this because I'm just delivering the word of God to the people, to his people? Or sometimes it can even be like a, I can even say, oh, my effort has paid off. I've done all this in my strength. Like now it's time to relax and enjoy. Or is it thinking about like, oh, God has given me all these gifts and goods. Like I can take time to relax. I can take time to enjoy because like it's a necessity and I'll continue on to build this kingdom. Or even, I think, even closer, uh, like how much do you want God? I think it's a tough question. Everybody says, oh, I want God, but how much really sometimes? Uh, does God has an integral part in your life, or is he a sideliner? Is he a, such that he sits on the side, and wherever you need him, so, oh, God, come, I need help. <laughs> uh, I think that's, that's pretty common, so if you think you are that, it's probably most of the people. Uh, even in the Bible, see, pretty often, the, the Israelites do that all the time. When they need help, oh, God, come and help me. <laughs> After God helped them, oh, yay, like let us go, go on our own ways again. And I, I guess like uh, the heart towards God plays a big part in what I'm going to talk about today. So that's all the introduction. So now we're going to go into congregational worship. So I would say uh, today, uh, this, uh, in this message that I'm talking about, it's going to be a little bit different. 
in a sense, like, uh, there will not be a lot of uh, Bible verses. But instead, I think a lot of this will come out from uh, the experiences that I had before in the past and throughout the years. And maybe some of you might know, like, uh, for me, my background, it's charismatic. So worship always plays a pretty big role. And worship always also plays a big role in how I come to know the presence of God and how I come to experience God. For me, I think it's a life-changing thing for me. So let's take a look at congregational worship. I think one of the first things is uh, the position of our hearts as we come into worship. So one of the things I find that's really important, it's ha- having a great expectation of faith to do, for God to do mighty works. Like sometimes like, uh, I feel like, uh, of course, there's, all of us have probably experienced this before. We come to worship after having a long day or a tough day, and then we're like, uh, I don't really want to do anything. I, I'm here, God. I'm here. It's good enough. But instead, I'll say like, uh, rather like a lot of times we should, when you come to worship, we should have a great expectation. Oh, God is going to do something great. I think that changes stuff too. Let's take a look at Matthew 13, verse 58. And in verse 58, it says, And he did not do many mighty works there because of their unbelief. And how often times when we come to worship, like a... You can't kind of have this feeling, oh, it's uh, just another time of worship. It's just another time of singing songs. Like nothing much is going to happen. But rather, I, I think it, it makes a big difference when people come into the house of God having the expectation of God's going to do something great or going to encounter God today or it's going to be a great time with God again. And maybe some of us have that, but maybe it might be something in the past. I just want to encourage all of us, as we come to worship today, let us have this expectation. Oh, God's going to do something great in our midst. We're going to encounter God, going to encounter His presence today. And I think the other thing, it's what I often call this, it's a a sacrifice of praise. I think it's interesting because when you talk about the Bible talks about sacrifice of praise. Let's turn to Hebrews 13 and 15 and take a look first. Just sticking. So Hebrews 13, verse 15. It says, Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of the lips that acknowledge his name. So when the Bible talks about praise, like sometimes it refers to sacrifice of praise. I think it's uh, interesting that you call it a sacrifice. Because I think sometimes the praise does require a certain sacrifice. And in those kind of moments, especially where you have a tough day or something bad might happen, 
sometimes praising God, like being joyful, it really takes some sacrifice. Like you really have to come in and change your mindset. It's like, oh, like, although something tough is happening, like, uh, I, don't, I don't really want to praise God, but still I will praise God, and still I will be happy. And so to me, I, think, I would say that's kind of a sacrifice they have to make sometimes when it comes to the house of God to praise Him. Like you have to come even though you're like, oh, I'm tired, but I'll still raise up my hands, I'll still sing joyfully, I'll make myself joyful. And surrendering our desires and emotions to praise Him. Mm-hmm. I think it's also interesting because this also points to the fact that there is a certain conscious decision in worshiping God. Like you don't just come to worship God, like I come here and say, Oh God, I'm here, I'm let's worship. Oh God, it's your turn to do something in my life to make me want to worship you. I think a lot of times, like rather than this passive stance. Rather, we want to come in the active stance where, where you say like, oh God, I'm here to worship you. I'm ready to worship you because you are great. Uh, although I don't really feel like, but I will do my best to worship you. And I find when you come in that kind of position, it's like, then like you usually, the, I think, uh, especially in the congregation, I feel like uh, a lot of times uh, God is satisfied at something like this. And like you probably feel it's like a Presence more. And also, like I say, it's not solely passive. Rather, most of the time, it's a pretty proactive in the starting. Then, as you are proactive, usually, like, uh, what I would say, it's uh, after a certain point, God kind of takes over. Yeah. Then it kind of becomes passive in the sense that God, God just fills you up, and then you're, you just go a little out of control in the sense that you become really excited. And also ha- having a longing and a hunger to encounter God together with others, I think that sets, this sets uh, worship differently from a personal time and a congregational time. Because uh, when we are worshiping congregationally, like, there, there's also people that's beside you. Like when you sing this song, sometimes they are listening to you also. They are also listening to the other people that are singing, and they are hearing the Word of God through you who are singing and so it changes people's hearts too. And I'll say also congregationally, when everybody sing together in unity, and everybody sing loud together, there, there is like a discount, this certain atmosphere that comes up that's pretty different. It's, it's pretty different from, say, as if there's one person singing, while everybody's just singing like a, while everybody's just sitting down like a concert. It's a bit different feeling uh, so the other thing that we're going to talk about is uh, the role of our bodies uh, as an expression of worship. So let us turn to Psalms 47, verse 1. Hmm. Psalms 47, verse 1, it says, Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. So you see here, like uh, when we start praising God, a lot of times uh, we might be clapping our hands. And a lot of times we clap our hands because we are happy. And sometimes you might even jump for joy, like... (laughs) Or you might even dance. Or sometimes you see people dance. 
Uh, and also a lot of times, like, uh, you also hear people start shouting, yeah. Amen. And unfortunately, I think like, uh, you see more of this in football games than in churches. <laughs> like people are like, more expressive in football games. Like people have a touchdown, yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm pretty sure like, uh, all of you guys can probably do a lot better than me. Like, I'm pretty known for being not very expressive. But like, during worship, I try. <laughs> yeah, most of the time people like, say, oh, how does this taste? Even if it's good to me, I was like, oh, it's good. <laughs> no, not bad. So I'm pretty sure you guys can all do better than me. And the other thing, it's uh, lifting of hands. So when we lift our hands, a lot of times it's a motion of surrendering. But you also, when you take a look at the Hebrew word, I think I put it there, uh, like uh, H3034. If you know, like uh, the resource called the Blue Letter Bible, and you turn on the Strong's mode, like you'll often hear, if you use it enough, you'll often hear what you start saying. Strong's H3034, yada, yada. <laughs> That's how it sounds like in the, in the app. <laughs> And when you look at the meaning, it says, Worship with extended hand. Bemoan with clapsing the hand together. Clapsing the hand together. Does that look familiar? Yep. Right? And also, remember, extended hand. So there is a significance here, too. So when we worship, especially, I think, uh, when it comes to like, uh, songs that's more personal, uh, it, it does help like, uh, worshiping God with your arms lifted high. And just put it there. I remember in the, in the past, when we used to worship, we would lift our hands. Sometimes your hands do get tired. <laughs> it's kind of interesting because when you put it on the side, like physics, like it gets more tiring like this than like this. <laughs> <laughs> and sometimes after like half an hour, it's like, ah, oh. <laughs> it's like smaller and smaller. <laughs> but we still try, we still try, like, ah. Oh. I think the difference is uh, when the presence of God comes, uh, sometimes you don't feel as tired anymore. It's kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. You kind of forget about your tiredness in your hands. Oh, you just lift it up. <laughs> and the other one, it's, uh, let's try this again. Strong's H7812. Shahar. Shahar. Of course, I can't do it perfectly because it's Hebrew. They got this like a, like dip tongue things, like, oh, that cannot do. And it means worship, to bow down, to fall down, or to crouch. So sometimes during worship, like a, when you hear God or something personal, you might kind of start like bowing down or like just like kneeling down, like, oh, like this. Then you lift up your hands. Or sometimes like a, even more, you might even prostrate. Street. I have to remember because I keep saying the wrong word. Like lay down on the floor. Of course, most of the people cannot see me now, but I'm laying down on the floor with your hands lifted up, just like uh, facing the ground. And uh, if you look at the, there's also this word also in uh, Greek, Greek 4352, proskineo, proskineo, to kneel, to prostrate, prostrate, to pay homage. 
And like this is the position when you think about like uh, when you watch those movies, when those people come to present something to the king, what they usually do is they're, they're like kneel down, right? They'll kneel down, then they'll take their offering, then they'll, oh, here's king. Or sometimes like if the king says like, uh, like you deserve to die, then they might lay down on the floor flat. So when we come to worship, sometimes that's the position we might take because we are paying homage to God when we are worshiping Him. We are bowing down and we are saying, oh, you are the King, oh Lord. Like to this moment, like we are singing all for you because you are great and because you are loving. Amen. So next, it's a, I think a big part of this, it's sensing and moving along with the Spirit. And what I find that's helpful, at least for me, it's uh, when it comes to praying in tongues. A lot of times you can do it before worship. Uh, you can do, go for uh, pre, pre-service prayer meetings. Those are helpful. So it can be done before, and you also can do it during the worship songs. I find it sometimes pretty helpful, especially during transitions. Because a lot of times you know, for a worship team, when we have a transition, we have this like a silent period. And in order for us not to get distracted, sometimes I find praying in tongues in this kind of times kind of help you to continue on to focus on God. And after worship too, it also works pretty well also. So because I find a lot of times when you start praying in tongues, the other thing is closing your eyes also help you to focus on God too. So you don't get distracted by things that's happening in front of you. You just focus on God. So, oh, you continue on to pray and begin to put all your time and all your focus on God. And I find that usually helps during worship. And I also find that praying in tongues help heighten your senses to God's presence. Because it keeps this like a focus on Him. It also begin, when you also close your eyes, you also begin to, uh, I guess your senses are kind of heightened. It helps you feel the presence of God more. And uh, with, when it comes to experiencing the presence of God, this is some of my personal experience. I'm not too sure about everyone else. But for me, like, uh, some of the first things that I experience is usually goosebumps. Some of you might feel the same way. That's probably the most common one. Or sometimes you might feel like God comes almost as a wind. Sometimes you might, might think, oh, is that like an like AC right above me? Like, oh, no, it's on the ground. <laughs> so it's not. <laughs> or sometimes you might feel like it encompasses you from behind or from the front. Sometimes you can feel warm. Sometimes you can even feel hot. Uh, sometimes, like, uh, I feel it's. If you go further, when the presence of God is thicker, it can be almost electrifying in the sense, like, uh, it's a good kind of electrifying. It's not like a like bizarre, painful, <laughs> like you're being burned. But yeah, it's kind of like the but without the painfulness. It's like a good comforting. So sometimes it can feel like this. So I could say there, it's all comforting. None of this is painful. Even when it's hot, it's like a, like like very warm. It's not, not like, it's like burning, my hands is on fire. And also the other thing, it's a waiting upon the Lord. So sometimes during worship, uh, what we can do is to pray softly. There is, sometimes it calls for that. Like a, maybe like a, you feel like, oh, God is maybe wanting to 
speak to you or something like this. You can kind of just stop and just pray silently for a little bit in tongues or not pray at all. Just begin to open up your ears, begin to let God speak to you. And I kind of find it helpful, like maybe you might ask God a question or ask Him something. Then you just wait with your eyes closed, your hands lift up, and just wait there and just wait and see what God might speak to you. Sometimes it takes a little while, sometimes there's nothing, but don't get worried, just be patient. I've seen this kind of scenario. Uh, sometimes there's also cases, uh, maybe you might need healing, or God might need to do a work in your life. Or maybe you just want to enjoy God, when the presence of God is thick. You just stand there with your hands lifted up and just enjoy. I know, I know probably most of us here, we like hot tubs. It's kind of similar. Sometimes God's presence is like a hot tub. You feel Him like encompassing you, like warmth. It's like you're sitting in the hot tub. Then you'll be like, ah. You don't really have to say much. You just stay there. Like, ah, comfortable. For like the next 10 minutes, you don't do much. So sometimes it's like this too during worship. And sometimes you can listen to other people sing too. You don't have to sing yourself also. And I find all those pretty helpful. So uh, the next one, it's a moving with the Spirit. <clears throat> so uh, there's this thing, sometimes we call a singing in tongues. So it's like a, we are speaking, the, we're speaking tongues, but we can't put a tune to it that the worship team might be playing or there's no lyrics or something. I think sometimes that's helpful. Uh, and I think the other thing that's helpful is uh, maintaining an atmosphere of faith through praying in tongues. And I think that's kind of what la- make uh, worship last longer. Because sometimes it's pretty tough, uh, especially when it comes to like the 40 minutes or 45 minutes mark. If you haven't been worshiping for a long time, you might start getting a little tired. Mm-hmm. And I find this kind of times, like when you start praying in tongues, or you start coming back and continue to focus on God, that you can make worship kind of last and experience worship more too. That's what I find sometimes uh, that happened here. It's when we worship, maybe till like a half an hour mark, when people start getting tired, you can feel the atmosphere of faith start coming down. It's like ramping downwards. So this part, it kind of, it kind of takes a little effort and some of it takes a little practice to, to be able to worship for a long period of time. And these this are the kind of times where you kind of take it home and you practice worshiping at home. Um... Also, during, the, uh, during worship, sometimes you can give a word of encouragement, a prophecy, or a word of knowledge. And I would say, when it comes to hearing God, typically it's uh, not audible. So I say typically, sometimes it can be, but it's more rare. Rather, I would say most of the time it's more like a prompt, like you might feel, oh, there's a certain word that you, wa- you want to say. And uh, when God's word comes, it's usually you can control it. It's not like a God takes over your mouth. That's pretty uncommon. And so you can choose to say it or you can choose not to say it. I mean, a lot of times for me, like, uh, of course, I'll choose not to say it because I've, like, uh, I fear it's like, oh, like, is it the right word? Uh, like, oh, scary. So sometimes it does take a step of faith. Uh, and it takes a little getting used to. 
It might take some time. I think a good way to do this uh, is to sometimes practice within a smaller group. Like while you're praying with some, like one or two other person, you might ask God, oh, God, give me a word for this person. Then you might say, say the word to this person and they later confirm it with the person to see whether it's accurate or not. If it's not, then, oh, okay, we can try it again next time. But if, when it's accurate, then you start going through this phase of like, kind of uh, listening, saying, and it's like, oh, is it, is it the right word? Is it God? Then sometimes when people confirm, oh, this must be the word of God, and kind of go through it a few more times to, to get used to how God's prompt is like. Uh, so what I've heard, but I don't know if it's true or not, it's like a, some, uh, at least some ladies, they say like a, to them, it feels like a, a male voice. So this one, I'm not too sure. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe you have an advantage. For guys, like, oh, it's always a guy voice anyways. <laughs> is it my guy voice? Does God speak lower? Does he speak like this? Or does he speak higher? Does he speak like this? <laughs> no. But uh, I will say also the other thing with uh, prophecy, it's you, you kind of can test it. I think a good rule of thumb is uh, when you have a prophecy that you might want to say that might be a bigger prophecy, usually a bigger prophecy, like a, you don't have to say it out in the moment. Sometimes you can take time, reflect on it, and come back maybe another prayer meeting or another worship time to say it. And uh, I think a good word, rule of thumb is like a, to see whether it's, does it align to the Word of God. Do you have the peace of the Holy Spirit with you? And usually it comes with confirming signs too. Like you see things happening around you that kind of confirm, so you, maybe this is the right word to say. Uh, there's also, if there's a similar sentiment in the church community, if other people are feeling something similar too. And the other one is a, a counsel from another mature Christian or your discipler to see what they think. Uh, and of course, like a, you do have scenarios where Maybe God tell you to do something pretty crazy. Yeah. I guess like a, if the, the mature Christian you go after tell you, oh, yeah, go ahead, then you'll know, oh, it's probably God. Because most of the time you'll get shut down at that point. So I would say sometimes this is a kind of a good approach to take. So uh, I guess like a, it's 10, 13. So now like I guess say, I say like this message will be a, a little bit different because... We'll do a little practice today. We'll have the worship team up. So are you guys ready to praise and worship to do a little practice? All right, if you are ready, let's stand up. Well, because of time constraint, you've got to stop here, unfortunately. But we have a four-minute break to 10.30. Otherwise, uh, isn't a good time praising God differently? More dynamically. Well, and the last thing is, uh, well, this congregational worship is one thing, but the other thing that really makes a difference, it's a continuum of praise and worship in our daily lives. A personal time of prayer and fasting, a personal time of worship is essential. Nothing can replace that in that regard. The more you do it, the more you can experience God. And well, everybody's dismissed. Come back soon.